This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, so quick caveat to this upcoming episode. We actually recorded this episode prior to news that the Phoenix Suns do intend to match a DeAndre Ayton offer sheet from the Indiana Pacers. We do talk about the ramifications of that potential acquisition and how it may take away two teams that could help in the Lakers' pursuit of Kyrie Irving. Obviously, now that the Indiana Pacers have lost out on DeAndre Ayton, they still remain an open option for the Lakers to potentially be like a salary dump destination for Russell Westbrook. But what the Phoenix Suns matching of DeAndre Ayton's restricted free agency offer does do is it eliminates an option for the Nets in terms of a Kevin Durant trade. And we get into the ramifications of that in this upcoming episode. So yeah, just keep in mind that during our discussion, we operate under the assumption that the Phoenix Suns may not match that offer sheet. So yeah, that shouldn't change much with regards to the discussions that we end up having, but just keep that in mind. With that said, please enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where if you want to watch an action-filled blockbuster like Top Gun Maverick or Thor Love and Thunder, well, make sure to watch it in IMAX. Now, if you want to watch a physically underdeveloped yet defensively intriguing guard try to stumble his way through a very strange and seemingly ill-fitting context with a Lakers team that's trying to win now and already has like five other 6-5 and under guards, well, make sure to then watch Max. (laughs) Max Christie. No IMAX. (laughs) Now, what we did end up seeing in the IMAX of our minds this past week at Summer League, though, was LeBron James ignoring Russell Westbrook during the Lakers Summer League game. (laughs) all while dapping up literally every other Laker that rolled through. So, lots of juicy stuff. Anyways, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. And today we'll be talking about some Summer League, as well as do another nauseating temperature check on the Kyrie Irving Odyssey. This will be sort of a quicker micropod that we're just fitting into our schedule because I currently have Alan via a drive-by recording right now as he makes his way from point A to point B down some... 626 Road in the San Gabriel Valley. So that's kind of what we'll be doing today, talking Summer League and Kyrie Irving. And if you appreciate the janky ways in which we're still able to somehow push this content out to you guys in, well, please make sure to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app, as well as five stars on the Spotify app, a new feature that we just found out about in the last couple months. Uh, We know every single one of you use Spotify, so please take a moment to give us five stars on that app as well. That would help us out tremendously. All right, Alan, let's get right into it since our time is short. Let's talk about Kyrie Irving again. And while I know I entitled this episode Minor Developments, namely for the minor word pun on the Lakers' youngest prospects, There have been some major minor developments on the KD-Kyrie trade front. 
namely with respect to the Phoenix Suns and the Indiana Pacers, two teams who had sort of tangential bearings on what the Nets and Lakers might do in any KD and Kyrie trade scenario. So today we've learned that the Pacers are set to sign DeAndre Ayton to a massive four-year, $130 million plus offer sheet. It's TBD as of now as to whether the Suns will match that offer, but the Pacers are operating as if they won't match because they've waived a couple of players to free up some cap space, and now we just wait and see. Um, this move will essentially take the Suns out of the equation of a Kevin Durant trade because they won't be able to sign and trade Aiton to the Nets now that he's going to the Pacers. And their next best non-Devin Booker asset would be Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, and those two aren't and those two wouldn't be enough to garner uh, Kevin Durant. And this also takes the Pacers out of the running of being a third-team cap dump facilitator for the Lakers because all of their cap space is now tied up in DeAndre Ayton's new contract. Now, with DeAndre on their roster, it seems like the Pacers are going to be looking to be competitive this upcoming season. So taking on Russell Westbrook or even taking on Kendrick Nunn, THT, and getting two firsts that won't even actualize till 2027... I just don't see the Pacers accepting that type of package and also giving up two productive players in Buddy Heald and Miles Turner who they can either flip for better assets to another team or just keep as useful players on their roster who will help them be competitive this upcoming season. So I say all that because the Lakers and Nets options are shrinking for not only a Kevin Durant deal, but a potential Kyrie Irving three-team deal, as well as even a pivot deal in the Lakers' case. Because at this point, the only pivot deal that the Lakers can maybe hope to extract out of the Pacers would be a deal surrounding Buddy Heald. Uh, but even in that scenario, the Lakers probably aren't ridding themselves of Russell Westbrook. And if that's the case... No ancillary trade is going to help the Lakers this season if they haven't first addressed the Russell Westbrook issue. So anyways, things are kind of looking dicey on the Kevin Durant trade front, and if things are looking dicey on that front, that probably means things are dicey on the Kyrie Irving front, because will the Nets even trade Kyrie Irving at that point if Kevin Durant ends up staying? So that's the big right. question I want to pose to everybody. All right, so with the Suns and Pacers update out of the way, Alan, let's just focus on the Kyrie Irving discussions. So this is our, you know, typical episodic Kyrie Irving temperature check. As it has been since the start of free agency, every day it's a new narrative that's being thrown about, a new leverage play that's seemingly being levied by either the Nets or the Lakers. Uh, yesterday it was the Kyrie Irving deal would have probably already been done if Palinka was willing to give up two firsts. And then today it's... Kyrie Irving never asked to be traded. He's perfectly fine playing out this next year with Brooklyn with or without Kevin Durant. Uh, now look, amidst all the smoke from different directions, at the end of the day, we're still likely in the same position we were at from the very beginning, namely that the Nets want to find a deal for Kevin Durant first, and then after they are able to do that, they'll probably turn to executing a Kyrie Irving trade so that they can maintain leverage in any KD discussions. Now, if a Kevin Durant trade doesn't happen and the Nets do decide to keep him, that may spell bad news for the Lakers' chances to get Kyrie because at that point, the Nets can just choose to keep Kyrie and either tell him to sit at home since they don't have a deal for him that they like, or if Kyrie Irving wants to play, then the Nets can just tell him, well, play for us and fulfill your contract and 
go play ball with KD. So the Lakers will be screwed, in my opinion, if the Nets can't find a KD trade. So Alan, let's just make this a whole lot simpler for our case. And let's work under the hypothetical premise for a second that according to Dave McMenamin's report, let's say that the holdup in getting a deal done from the Lakers end is not wanting to give up two first rounders. So what, regardless of what happens to KD, let's say the Kyrie deal could be done today if the Lakers just include that second first rounder. The question I want to pose to you is, how would you feel if the Lakers and Palenka walked away from this summer, assuming it was within their grasp and power to get Kyrie, if they walked away with no Kyrie Irving and had to scramble instead to try and find a pivot trade that that not only rids them of Westbrook, but also helps them bring back some productive shooters and defenders, which will likely be a tall task. So yeah, just give me your personal take on how you would feel if we walk away from all of this without Kyrie Irving, knowing that we probably could have done something, but chose not to. And you cannot waffle, Alan. Um, I'm a more of a pancake guy anyway. Just kidding. <laughs> I am actually team waffles if it came down to that. Um, uh, it, it would be disappointing for sure. Um, but it's like, like there's always a price, you know? So I, I think the last time we talked, we kind of drew the line that we would not be willing to give up or less willing to give up that second first round pick. Uh, I remember you added, you know, well, what if there's some sort of protection, like a top eight? Okay. That's an easier pill to swallow if you were to add that to the negotiation price. Um, so uh, I would be disappointed for sure, because you have to look of course at the big picture of, we're trying to take advantage of LeBron's, you know, last years of productivity and all that kind of stuff. And like his, his window is shrinking as he's getting older. And uh, yeah, if we weren't going to jump on something that's going to make us better now, um, then what the heck are we doing? So it, it would be a bummer. And then, yeah, all the Indiana stuff that you throw on top of it, like, you know, we've heard the Buddy healed, the um, Miles Turner stuff. Like, okay, well, if there were no Kyrie option and those were the guys that we could acquire, uh, wouldn't we be pretty happy about that? I think the answer would be yes, but now that doesn't look like it's going to happen either. So you said scramble um, at best. Yeah, and, and that would definitely be the case. So I don't think I waffled, did I? Yeah, disappointed is, I think, putting things lightly because, Alan, I want to remind everybody that the only reason why the Lakers actually have this miraculous once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to even trade for a player of Kyrie's caliber and revive their dead-in-the-water shot at contending next year is because, Alan, Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving and his eccentricities will rule the day at the end of the day, right? If the hard-line point is not giving up that second first round pick if that's where they're drawing the line alan they wouldn't have even had this opportunity if kyrie irving wasn't as weird as he was you know (laughs) yeah and if we find out that it was within their control to get kyrie irving and the ball was in their court and it was sort of out of our hubris and palinka's you know new overcompensating stance to all of a sudden not surrender first-round picks. For me, I'm going to be very irate and almost inconsolable, especially because, Alan, you know what's going to happen after this. In any scramble mode pivot, Palinka will likely end up trading both of those first anyways in separate deals for much lesser players than Kyrie. Am I right? Choose a lane, right? Like, if you're going to be prudent, then always be prudent. And, like, we we shouldn't be guessing and surprised and shocked, you know, by any particular move. But in this case, yeah. No, you're, you're totally right about that. You're, you're starting to get me all pissed off and riled up now. It's good. <laughs> yeah, because he's going to trade a first to dump 
Russell Westbrook and try and get Buddy Heald, and then he'll trade another first and THT to Houston for Eric Gordon, or trade that same package to, to Utah for Bojan Bogdanovic. And again, I don't think the Lakers can get Heald and Turner. Mark Stein has already reported that Indiana has shot down any of LA's overtures for those two players anyways. So when we could have Kyrie Irving right now in some combination of Seth Curry or even Joe Harris, for me, you got to do it. If it's within our power to end the misery now and keep this from dragging out any longer, Palinka should do it. Again, I think we both admire and commend the hardline stance and negotiating tactics that he is employing. Shows growth. But you know, we're in the red zone, Alan. We can't try and just take a field goal at this point. We got to go for the touchdown. Um, Only one team out of the Lakers and Nets is desperate to win this next year. And it's not the Nets, Alan. So the Lakers should tread very carefully. Um, All that being said, it could very well still be the case that things are as they always have been. And maybe there is a general agreed upon structure that both both teams have come into alignment with. They're now just literally waiting for a KD trade to materialize in order for things to get underway on the Kyrie Irving front. The main concern now is, is a KD trade even going to happen? And if that doesn't happen... Is a Kyrie Irving trade possible or will the Nets just keep him? So that's, I think, the biggest thing the Lakers have to sort of worry about and monitor. Oh, right, so he goes to the Warriors. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gosh. He's against that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, that'd you, be funny, right? It's like, all right. He's on the Warriors. Now we can get Kyrie. But, oh, shit, it's, now it's the Warriors again like that. And we got to compete against yeah, you, it, So You're pretty much stuck in between a rock and a hard place. Uh, anyways, Alan, let's quickly talk about and pivot to Summer League. And let's talk about Max Christie. You know, during our draft episode, we talked about how this draft is filled with multiple versatile six, seven plus wings who can defend and also shoot. And somehow, Alan, we managed to walk away with zero of those versatile wing defenders. Uh, meanwhile, Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker, uh, that was a joke. Meanwhile, Jabari Walker, Vince Williams, Justin Lewis are all killing it in Summer League for their respective teams. That being said, the Lakers did walk away with some intriguing prospects, namely their two-way players in Scottie Pippen Jr., Cole Swider, and then their main draft pick, second-round pick, number 35th pick, Max Christie. I want to get your thoughts on how he's looked in Summer League and just your thoughts on even just drafting a player of this ilk because... I mean, he's a project, and we are in win-now mode. It seems like an ill-fitting fit. Let's start with the positives that you've seen out of his game that that kind of intrigue you and lend you to sort of seeing L.A.'s perspective on drafting him. So for me, obviously it starts on the defensive end because this kid is miles ahead of where kids his age typically are when it comes to even just wanting to play defense and focusing in on that end of the ball because he was like a I think he was the number one shooting guard recruit out of his high school class he was a five-star recruit out of high school number 13th overall usually if you have that sort of pedigree you're likely focused on scoring and not the little things i.e the defensive end of the ball but when it comes to Max Christie and what we've seen out of him in summer league uh his Defensive IQ is off the charts. You see him making these crisp rotations, always fighting to get through screens. If he gets beat by his man, he's always searching out space in which he can help someone else. He's always trying to find any small way he can to be productive on the defensive end at at every single moment. 
He's rarely ever caught sleeping or off guard. Again, if he gets beat by his man, he's like, okay, what else can I do to help this team defensively? So from that end, he always seems very hyper aware and focused. And in spite of his slight frame, he's actually shown some fight in holding his ground. And the way that he slides his feet and uses his long arms to sort of do that, you know, Mr. Miyagi wax in, wax out, and putting him in the right spots to deter and harass offensive players is super, super effective. And when it comes to him being always hyper-aware and focused on the defensive end, Allen, in that sense, he is the anti-Westbrook. But yeah, um, if you want to build on that point and also bring up any positives you've seen from Max Christie's game. Yeah, I agree with everything that you just had to say about his defense. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that pans out against like NBA level players, you know. Um, But like you said, what's promising is that he does fight through screens. So there's this element of he can deal with the physicality. Um, And while he is very slight of frame, it doesn't look like he's necessarily like weak, you know, because if you're a solid defender, There's going to be contact. It's going to be physical. And if you were truly weak, you would probably avoid and shy away from those uh, types of situations. And he doesn't do that. And I I think there's something to be said about the fact that he went to Michigan State. And a lot of times, whatever school you went to, you can kind of tell, like, oh, he fits the mold of whatever. So, okay, he's coached by Tom Izzo. Um, I know a lot of people probably don't follow college basketball that closely, but, like, they're pretty hard-nosed, like, you know, Big Ten type of team. So there's that. Um, his rebounding is great. I, I think mm-hmm. we've just seen that, you know, if you just look at a box score, uh, you'll see those numbers, but you know, he's, he's not just stumbling upon these rebounds. Um, he's, he's definitely like finds his way, um, and positions himself correctly, which goes to what you said about say he gets beat, uh, you know, on defense, he, he isn't just a spectator at that point. He's very active. Um, now offensively, <laughs> He's got a bit of a floater game, right? If we're going to choose like one thing to pinpoint, uh, Mm -hmm. he showed that off a couple of times. He has this like huge rainbow arc (laughs) when he shoots it. Um, So, okay, well, why is he even getting these floaters off in the first place? Well, he's he's attacking the rim. A lot of times they have come in like late shot clock types of situations, um, but shows that he's got some touch, which is nice. A little bit of craftiness there. Um, And as far as some other offensive parts of his game, Yeah, like, we're going to talk about it now, I'm sure. But as as slow (laughs) as his stroke mechanics are, like, he looks like a shooter. Um, So those things can be worked out. I mean, if you look at Lonzo Ball's shot mechanics and how far that has come with the right tutelage, um, anything is possible, to quote Kevin Garnett. So, yeah, I I think that it's going to take some time, like you said, which uh, we'll get into. But it's not like his shot is broken, per se. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about that. And the defense, like you said, though, uh, very well is what, what I'm excited to, about most with him. Yeah, and, and one aspirational comp that I gave for Max Christie, I kind of highlighted Sean Livingston as an aspirational comp for him because Sean Livingston, when it, when it came to the defensive end, was the same sort of high defensive IQ sort of player who always fought through screens, always fought to stay in front of his man, held his ground. I don't think he's as athletic as Sean Livingston, and obviously he's not the playmaker Sean Livingston was. But when it comes to Sean Livingston's peak with the Golden State Warriors and even the Brooklyn Nets, he was this guy who was always so active, his motor was high on defense, and even off-ball, He was always rotating at the right times. He was always causing havoc with his long arms. 
taking it down the other way and into transition. Like, that's who I hope Max Christie can become. And even from the offensive end, Sean Livingston was like a mid-range maven. I hope, uh, I hope Max Christie can sort of develop the strength to eventually get his shot going in that space as well. Um, why don't we take it to break? And when we return, we'll talk about some of Max Christie's more concerning holes and deficiencies and maybe get into some Cole Swider as well. So we will catch you guys after the break. All right, Alan. So let's talk about some of the things that have concerned you about Max Christie and that make him a major WIP and somewhat of an ill fit on a Lakers roster that's looking to win now. And given the fact that he's not a two-way player, Alan, he's taking up a legitimate roster spot that, look, we're not saying this pick won't pan out, this prospect won't pan out, but for the purposes of this upcoming year, it is sort of a red shirt dead spot on our roster. You know, that could be going to a legitimate NBA-ready veteran who could be your break glass in case of emergency type insurance in case a guard or or a big man goes down. Like, Max Christie is just taking up that spot. But, but regardless, for me, man, he's got a lot of work to do. For as strong as he looks on the defensive end, he looks just as weak on the offensive end. In the areas in which he was able to hold his ground against like guys like Moses Moody and Keegan Murray, on the offensive end, when he has to put the ball on the floor, he is very weak. He is very soft. Um, He doesn't have any explosiveness. He can't create separation on people right now. Um, And maybe it's like, it's one of those things where this guy can't chew gum and walk at the same time, right? So maybe when you add that dribbling component to try and create for himself, he just can't blow by people. He can't gain contact and do something with the ball. You know, his body spazzes out and flinches at the slightest amount of contact. And right now, offensively, he has no stability or sturdiness in his game and he's always easily knocked off balance with these weak and soft drives to the rim or he gets the ball stripped even before he gets to the rim. So what are your thoughts on uh, the weaknesses on the offensive end? Because they are pretty apparent and I think he's like, I don't know, I've literally only seen him make two layups out of like 16 that he's attempted and gotten blocked or whatever or sent away. I mean, his last game, he actually hit two threes, which was nice, including one late in the game that kind of clinched the game for the Lakers. Um, But he is definitely going to be a work in progress on that end. Yeah, Uh, he does not look comfortable, (laughs) like at all out there. And um, it's just like everything is moving very fast for him and things are much more physical for him and at this point the skills the tools that he possesses just aren't up to speed mm-hmm. now <laughs> you know last year in summer league we saw austin reeves and we we're like dude like this guy could ball you know in the past alex caruso were like oh my god what a revelation <laughs> i think that we felt the same thing about max christie like oh it's gonna be the exact same mold of player and somehow he's going to be serviceable like now. So maybe some of this is like our expectations. Uh, I can speak for myself and say that I just had not even blind faith, right? That we, we found another gem like that and he could very well turn out that way. It just doesn't look like that yet. And that's what we've been spoiled with and what we've grown accustomed to. Given the context of our situation, like you said, you know, we're trying to win now. That's what makes this a little more like, magnified i suppose mm-hmm. whereas yeah if that were not the case i think we would have all the patience in the world you know to trust that he'll develop over whatever amount of time so that yeah that's the situation and uh i, I just feel like 
it's not a quick fix by any means. And um, if he were a two-way player, you'd be like, okay, just like throw him down to the G League and let him like develop down there. That could do wonders. And I mean, even back in the day, we would do that with Jordan Farmar. I feel like there was a time where he played one at the time D League game. And then the next day or something, he was back up with us playing. And um, yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. You know, we could see mm-hmm. that, but now things are uh, not so. So uh, yeah, hopefully things just at the very least, like physically, it's going to take time. Um, and, and in college, you know, there's a lot of tape of him getting his own shot, creating and getting that mid range jumper. The problem is his shot mechanics are so slow. He's not going to get <laughs> any kind of room whatsoever. Uh, and if his handle's not tight, it's not going to break down guys anyway. So there's just no shot for him. And he's not a catch and shoot dude either. So that's, that's that. <laughs> yeah. And also Alan, if you watch his tape in college, a lot of it is so impressive because a majority of his shots are like these mid range dribble pull-ups on defenders faces right but I think I realize now the reason why all of his shots were contested in college is because (laughs) he couldn't get separation you know he couldn't go all the way to the basket and that's even more magnified against NBA bodies you know and this is just summer league so as easily as you saw him navigate in the mid-range in college he's either going to get the ball stripped from him or he's going to find himself in a spot where he's stuck you know and not able to actually get that jump shot off. I mean, his jump shot always looks short, you know, when he shoots it. And so, you know, people have talked about, you know, the last pick we had this high or the last pick we had in the 30 to 40 range in this Anthony Brown, right? So what were Anthony Brown's biggest deficiencies outside of him not actually being able to get the ball in the basket? For me, it was mainly a lack of explosiveness and a lack of athleticism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what I see out of Max Christie. When I made that Sean Livingston comp, I did not make it when it came to Sean Livingston's athleticism translating over to Max Christie because Sean Livingston was a, an athletic as hell player. And right now, I don't, I don't know if he can all of a sudden just gain explosiveness. Max Thankfully, Christie, he's more explosive than Anthony Brown. Uh, yeah, oh, ab- like, absolutely. Yeah, like AB and not Avery Bradley. Anthony Brown from Stanford University. He was just like, okay, hopefully this guy can shoot and he's a solid defender. Like the epitome of three and D and not a whole lot else. Max Christie definitely has like some athleticism and a little bit of bounce, you know, going for him. And I think we've seen it in some very, very isolated incidents where the ball literally just bounced into his hand. He'll have like a putback or something. So he's like the uh, middle class, richish man's Anthony Brown. And also Max Christie actually has some ball handling abilities and he can be crafty in the mid-range that Anthony Brown never had. So I have a better comp actually for a potential, you know, cautionary tale. And it's kind of different because this was like a lottery pick player, but I actually see a lot of Jarrett Culver in Max Christie. Mm, And the reasons why Jarrett Culver didn't pan out in the NBA is because one, he lacked a consistent jump shot. But I think the biggest thing that ailed him was his frailty in frame and his body was never strong enough to, he was never able to impose himself on defenses or defensive players. And I feel like him not having an NBA ready body, like say a Stanley Johnson, on top of the fact that he didn't have a jump shot really impeded him from being a legitimate finisher at the next level. Because even a guy like Josh Jackson, he's so athletic, he's so sturdily built, like he's able to at least be a finisher at the next level, right? But Jared Culver, it's kind of like he gets tossed around like a rag doll in the NBA. And if you don't have a jump shot on top of that, that's kind of where I see Max Christie's game going if he's not able to actually hone that jump shot, hone that three-point shot down. So 
something to monitor. I think he'll get there. But again, given the context of the Lakers, is this necessarily the best situation for him to develop in? You know, a lot of expectations. Just the fact that he... Fans know that he's taking up a roster spot that could be going to an NBA-ready player that could be going to a Cole Swider, right? Is that eventually going to get to his head? You know, so you hope not. He seems like a, a kid with a good head on top of his shoulders, so we'll have to see. Alan, to close this episode really quickly, talk to me about Cole Swider into the Swiderverse because overall in Summer League, this doesn't include the Friday game because we haven't gotten to that point yet, but Cole Swider has shot 19 of 36 from three. That's 53%. 3.13s made per game. He obviously had that 21-point game where he was 5 of 8 from 3, hitting clutch threes, 4-point play, plays, etc., etc. I mean, Alan, this dude is unfazed and always somehow perfectly balanced and squared up whenever he shoots, even when a defender is right in his face. Um, it seems like he can always nonchalantly keep his form, and he always looks like he's just shooting that 3 in an empty gym. Textbook shooter with size, but one with the versatility of movement and off-the-bounce dribble pull-up creation that most other strictly catch-and-shoot shooters don't have. Alan, what are your thoughts on Cole Swider, and why does he remind you of, of a particular former UCLA 6'8 shooter? And who is that shooter? <laughs> um, UCLA 6'8 shooter. There's been so many of them. His name, his last name rhymes with Bapono. I knew <laughs> Jason Capoto, baby. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, dude, he's ridiculous. He's the best effing shooter in this draft. And that's, that's a direct quote from him. He's got some swag too. Um, yeah, dude, his shot mechanics are like pretty, pretty beautiful. And the fact that he can shoot with a friggin' hand in his face and it's just, Kind of like Max Christie, but he makes them. Uh, it's it crazy. And, like, what I'm very impressed by is he understands, like, the spacing on the floor, too, right? Like, that's why he's able to get shots off is he's really good at relocating and just um, kind of, like, dropping to the level of the ball handler. And then that's why he gets these shots, too. He is, like, just a sniper, <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. it's crazy that he didn't get drafted. These things are just such a crapshoot, I feel like, sometimes. So uh, good on us for fun. This is like a gem, for sure. And um, he's got that NBA range, like, no freaking doubt. And, uh, you know, he has an interesting, like, college career. Started off at Villanova and then transferred over to Syracuse. Um, So it it seems like he also has, like, a level of maturity to him just because he is a little bit of an older player and he's already moved around a little bit just for Mm -hmm. basketball. So, yeah, dude, it's friggin' exciting. Uh, Let's hope that he gets a lot of time up with us. Yeah, I mean, he called himself the taller Duncan Robinson. I think that's a great comp, but I bring up Jason Capono because, Alan, the reason why he probably didn't get drafted was on the defensive end. And while he's 6'9", he doesn't have the foot speed and the athleticism to keep up with, you know, these NBA caliber players. And while his dribble cadence and his off-the-bounce movement sort of remind you of Kuzma, he's not nearly as athletic and strong as Kuzma was, even though we have seen those, like, LeBron-esque chase-down blocks, which are, you know, very impressive. But when it comes to actually staying within the scheme of a defense and staying in front of his man, he's getting blown by left and right. So that's why I bring up Jason Capono and not another guy like Ryan Anderson, who was... One, taller than Cole Swider. And while Cole Swider also showed a propensity to be a good rebounder in college, I think he still has to develop physically. And Ryan Anderson, in comparison to Cole Swider, was way more athletic than Cole. 
And so I think Cole has to just develop like his team defensive principles so that he's not an entire zero on that end and he can't be picked on. But even with that said, if he can be Jason Capono, who was a back-to-back three-point shooting contest champion and a career 43% three-point shooter, I mean, that's a player that any team can use and fit into their system, right? To open up the floor. So, yeah, with that said, that'll do it for this short, this quick, short micropod. We'll get into other guys like Jay Huff and maybe Scottie Pippen Jr. Jr. in the future. But we just wanted to quickly touch upon Max Christie and Cole Swider since they are the main topics of contention when it comes to guys who could actually be on the Lakers roster and contribute or unfortunately not contribute this upcoming season and also give you the typical Kyrie Irving temperature check. With that said, we will catch you guys next time. Alan, I will let you go. Have fun at Tyco. And uh, yeah, I'll catch you later. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Cool. See you guys. Peace. you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.